0: This country roads the strong scent of evergreen from the passenger seat as you are driving me home then looking upward a strain my eyes to try. and satellites from the passenger seat as you were driving me home do they collide I ask can you smile with my feet on the deck
1: Hey, what's going on? It's Quinn David Furness. Welcome to my show. Quinn David Furnace presents the Beantown podcast for Friday, September 15th, 2023. There's a there's a bunch of hooligans going on outside. I don't know what, what the kerfuffle is. I'm still seated at the piano here. I can't quite see outside, but we got whining dogs. That I, I don't know. This could be dog-acost part two. Making too much noise. Going to be hiding under the floorboards. I do think Doggacost could be a great like Wes Anderson movie, right? Just uh, I don't know, maybe it's maybe it's a little bit too on the nose, but something to consider. My name is Quinn David Furness, and this is my show, Quinn David Furness presents the Beantown Podcast. That was, of course, a cover of one of my favorite bands, and it's thematic. I promise, Death Cab for Cutie. Uh, today is going to be all about uh, transatlanticism. We are going to riot fest here in chicago uh tomorrow it actually day one is today foo fighters playing tonight down in douglas park and then headliners tomorrow death cab for cutie and the postal service ben uh, both ben gibbard projects uh doing their 20 year album anniversaries for transatlanticism which is what we're talking about today and give up by the postal service so Listener discretion is advised when you're listening to this program. Number one, we'll occasionally use some language. Number two, this podcast is objectively terrible. We're going to be talking a lot of Death Cab today. I'm excited. This is going to be maybe like my fourth show, fifth show, something like that. But this is a completely new one, right? This is uh, this is I, I've never been to a, a band. I don't think where they just like play through an album straight. I think maybe when I saw Chicago in Baltimore, which I recognize the confusion in that the band Chicago played at the opera house in Baltimore randomly when I was living out there back in Beantown. And it was just one of those things where I found out the morning of like, Oh, Chicago is playing half a mile from my apartment tonight. And tickets are like 30 bucks. And it's just like, yeah, obviously I'm going to just go do that. But, um, I think they may have played to an entire album, when i saw them it was like the first half of the show and then the second half was just like all the other hits basically i think that happened with chicago but not sure uh but i forgot if we already did this this is embarrassing for me I haven't even had anything to drink yet listener discretion advice when you're listening to this program number, number one will occasionally use some language number two this podcast is subjectively terrible uh i do want to also i forgot to do this last week which is extra embarrassing shout out our friends and the great nation of pakistan thank you for listening to us thank you for making us the 112th ranked comedy podcast in the great nation of pakistan up there with the joe rogan's the club randoms and uh bill burr monday morning podcast right conan conan o'brien needs a friend really it's just you're talking about the pantheon p-a-n-t-h-e-o-n of you know kind of comedy giants in Pakistan and the Greater Middle East, it's it's an honor truly to kind of be thrown up there. Excuse me. Um, I do want to mention one thing quickly before we jump in. Basically, what we're going to be talking about today, I have a three part uh, that are, uh, three unrelated but tied together uh, trivia questions for you. So it's a three for one. Um, a, a palindrome of the day is taking a week off. I had a substitute segment for palindrome of the day that I thought of in the shower and had the bright idea to not write it down. So if that comes back to me, we will go there, I promise. But I also wanted to mention before we... Uh, oh, and then uh, we're going to be... This is it's tough. I did this on a walk about an hour ago. Power ranking the transatlanticism tracks. There's 11 of them total, and we'll get into that. But just uh, here's the thing. If you're a big... Transhead or a death cab at a death Cabite. uh you you might have a completely different list than i do because it's just really tough because that album is a banger it is certifiably a banger one of those albums where there there are no bad songs there are you know some songs some days you're in the mood for this one some days this one maybe doesn't scratch your itch but just objectively there are no bad songs which makes ranking it really tough and i could probably rank it again in a month and have a different list right so We'll get into that. I do want to mention though we are because um, this this was has been a staple of the beans on podcast in the past, although maybe not as uh passionately now as as three years ago. But the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City season four has premiered. It's uh it's now episode two came out. I think it's Tuesday nights at eight on Bravo is what their slot is right now. Uh, we were able to watch the premiere live with my stream and then failed to do it excuse me failed to get a good stream on tuesday night so we waited uh, to stream it the next day on wednesday but so this is season four so to just give you a quick i don't even, i can't even really remember basically season three everything that season three centered around was jen shaw because season three was she was arrested in season two and then season three was really just like we pretty much know i don't i don't remember the whole timeline but it was basically like we knew she's going to go to prison at some point uh after that season concluded after it wrapped so the cast in season three of course was jen shaw and then whitney and heather and meredith and lisa the big changes from two to three were that mary cosby left after she just, like, didn't show up to the season two reunion, and it was basically, like, she quit without ever telling anyone. And then Jenny, who I think, if I remember, Jenny was, like, I think Jenny got a full season, right, season two. She was the Asian, Vietnamese lady married to Dewey, the um, chiropractor, and their whole storyline that season was the midwife thing, which was just really uh, not entertaining. And then it it came out that Jenny had made a lot of offensive, uh, like, pro-Trump, Facebook posts uh, over the years, which apparently they didn't, Bravo didn't uncover until after they had filmed her full, full season. I think what happened, they had filmed some portion of season three with Jenny, and then they had to go back and not maybe not redo stuff, but it was just a lot less. Season three, I think, was easily the weakest season. There were only 16 episodes after 24 in season two, and it just was like not that interesting at all Um, because a lot of it they were just milking the jenshaw stuff for for all you could get out of it the the um the season three storyline for lisa was basically like she had a big blow up behind closed doors against meredith and she thought the cameras weren't rolling but they were and so then lisa just had to like try to dig out of that hole against meredith the whole season meredith's whole storyline is that she's just like xanaxed into eternity and Seth, her husband, kind of shows up here and there. Brooks, her wannabe designer, fashion designer son, shows up here and there. Most of the time she's just, like, in a bathtub. Then the, the Heather-Whitney thing, right, they're cousins, and they were portrayed as, like, best friends in the first two seasons. And then they, like, tried to – the producers wanted there to be drama between those two in season three, and it just felt really weird and fake. But they didn't really show them getting along very well, which just didn't feel, like – It didn't feel like the real housewives of Salt Lake City that we fell in love with, you know. Um, It was basically their independent storylines where Heather was writing a book, a bad Mormon, right, that it was revealed in season four that none of the ladies have read yet. And then Whitney's whole thing was she was dealing with her uh, trauma, uh, her abuse as a child, and her dad has flown the coop and his glorious black hair, nowhere to be seen. So that's really what happened in season three. Season four, again, we're two episodes in. Um, Basically, the big changes, so Mary Cosby is back as a friend of, and if you're curious, like, what exactly does that mean? Well, she's not featured in the main credits, but they are currently on their first cast trip of the season. Usually they'll do two or three. They're in Palm Springs, and Mary Cosby did come with. And the whole thing with Mary Cosby is, like, she clearly hates being on the show, and she really doesn't like being with the ladies at all. She really hates everything except for the paycheck, right? Um, so she's just there. Obviously, Lisa, Meredith, Heather, and Whitney are back. Those those four are kind of the core at this point. Jen Shaw was obviously a really big part of it. And now she's in prison for like six years. So um, I'm sure Bravo is really holding out hope that they could like get her back if this show survives that long, but who knows what's going to happen. And then there are two new main cast members this season. One of them we knew before Angie K and it was extremely confusing uh, in season three because there were two friend of Angie K and Angie H and Dana and Dana and Angie K kind of have the same style, like big, oil slick high pony and like super kind of maybe not tall but just like very like upright and narrow that kind of look and so that was confusing to me as well angie k who i'm not a big fan of she's not the fat fucking elf on the shelf husband that's angie h so angie angie k who really in my opinion doesn't really bring anything to the show and has a very irritating voice is now a main cast member Angie H and Dana are nowhere to be seen this season through two episodes. I would not be surprised if they show up at some point. And then Monica Garcia is a new main. Okay. We haven't heard anything from her before. We don't know anything about her. She's new this season. We got a little bit more of her backstory in episode two the other night. It's confusing. She talks about ha- having never, you know, never having to work a day in her life. She married super rich and she's got all these like, Designer clothes and just a very nice house and, and beautiful kids and all that stuff. And now apparently she's divorced. Uh, we don't know anything about her ex-husband. She's running some sort of like drop ship thing from her house where she's using her mom for free labor. And her storyline so far is that she feels very discriminate, not discriminated, but just like out of place, FOMO, not FOMO, but uh, imposter syndrome with the other ladies because... Lisa has a $40,000 ring that she lost at the Palm Springs airport in this episode, and uh, Monica's handbag is only worth $3,000, so she feels, you know, very much like uh, just she doesn't belong because she's super poor, and there you go, so we'll try to be consistent with our Real Housewives of Salt Lake City updates for you, that was a lot to catch up on because we haven't talked about it in probably, well, season three ended in like january i think february maybe so we haven't talked about it for over half a year um anyway so that's that let's very quickly give a shout out to our sponsors uh home part oregon when you need your home inspecting in central oregon call the expert someone who's safe certified uh good for plumbing hvac air conditioning a separate of hvac Call someone you trust, Steve, 541-410-0316 or visit homeprideorgan.com or email homeprideorgan at gmail.com. There's a million ways, a myriad of ways to get in contact with the good folks at Home Pride Oregon, myriad, M-Y-R-I-A-D. Home Pride Oregon Inspection Perfection, Tom Quinn sent you. Also, our good friends at the Samsung Q2U Series, I don't know because we just started recording and... There, This is all one take so far, knock on wood, for GarageBand. Uh, doing well. Um, I think the balance for the opening song was solid. I think the big problem is I just don't want to overpower with my voice because I'm not a particularly strong singer. But hopefully, hopefully the balance worked out okay. I chose to just do the one mic setup because... The decision to cover passenger Seat to lead off today's show uh, in honor of tomorrow's concert was really just a last-minute decision. And so I didn't get too set up with the two-mic setup, the two Samsons. All this is to say, when God speaks, he uses the clear, crisp audio quality of the Samson Q2U series. And, of course, a good friends at Cuts by Q... We can do bowl cuts, we can do dreads, I can do buzz cuts, I can do uh, the monk cut, I don't know what that's called, it's like a bowl without a top, an inverse bowl I guess, Um, a ring, you know, the ring cut. I can uh, do jewelry, speaking of ring cuts, you know, two carat, three carat, four carat, I don't care. Um, just bring me your ring and I'll I'll cut it or something. I don't know. Get a kitchen knife or something. I don't know. Um, uh, uh, but uh, the, uh, the cuts by Q. We need a, need a fresh do something snappy or New call the experts at Cuts by Q. And remember, you can always get in touch with us here, Beantown Networks, by visiting BeantownPodcast dot com or emailing the show Beantown Podcast at yahoo.com. Again, that's Beantown B E A N T O W N Podcast at yahoo.com. We would love to hear from you. Whether you've got trivia answers, whether you've got complaints, whether you've got uh, a business ventures or partnerships, maybe Bean Town Podcast gets into the barbecue space. I don't know. There's there's a new barbecue place just opened up down the street from my office. So it's at the northwest corner of Wabash and uh, Jackson right next to like the central camera between central camera and the 7 on the corner. And this is called clumsy cow barbecue. And I think I saw the menu as I was walking past the other day and I want to confirm these prices. So I'll say this, I recognize two things very briefly before we just look at this menu for the first time ever. Um, and again, this is just right by my office, which is why I'm looking at it. Barbecue is more expensive than you always think it's going to be. Having just had barbecue last week in Kansas City, i um, that's just the way it goes. I think I had like a normal dinner. I mean, it was like lar- large portions that I purchased intentionally, right? Because it was, you know, a work trip and I just wanted to like pig out, pun intended. But it was the whole thing after tax and tip. I didn't even do delivery. I just picked it up. It was like 46 bucks, right? So it's a lot. And the other thing, Chicago Loop is going to be expensive. That real estate's pricey. So let's just – have not making any comments on these menu prices one way or another yet. I just thought when I caught a glance out of the corner of my eye, I was walking back from the gym yesterday, that it seemed expensive. Uh, so just going down again, this is a Clumsy Cow Barbecue in Chicago. Opened up maybe a month ago. French fries, $5. Okay, very reasonable. Loaded potato salad, 5 or $9. i am guessing that's like a cup or a pint. Dilly slaw, 3 or 6 Jimmy Red Cornbread, $5 with honey butter. Okay. Side prices, not bad. Five dollars for fries. I don't blink at that. That's pretty normal. Okay, smoked meats. This includes one two ounce signature sauce per half pound. So these prices are either half pound or full. So brisket 18 or 36. That's my first that's the first thing I take issue with. You're gonna list different prices for half pound and full. But you're not giving me the consumer any sweet, sweet discounts. If you're going to list, if you're going to do two separate prices, you can't just double it. You got to give me a dollar or two off, right? And I think that that's probably, I mean, that's like the norm in restaurants, right? And that feels like a good business practice. Like, I'd be more likely to purchase a full pound if I knew that I was getting, if I was saving money, you know? So, brisket. 18 or 36, pork, 1428, smoked wings, 12 each for 16. That's not so bad. Um, smoked turkey breast, 16 or 32, spare ribs, 1632, rib tips, 10 or 20, smoked beef, kilbasa link, one each for $9. So that's really not terrible. This seems way more reasonable uh, than what I thought I saw uh, on the uh, website. Or excuse me, on uh, the menu outside as I was walking, sandwiches. You can make it a combo for twenty three dollars, which would include a sandwich, a fountain drink, cornbread, and choice of fries, dilly salad, potato salad. So for twenty three bucks, and I think that's the tough thing about this. Not that I ever really eat out for lunch when I'm in my office, but I wouldn't spend you know twenty three bucks on um, on this for lunch. I would never spend twenty three dollars plus tax and tip on lunch just generally. Like, that's only happened if I'm not paying for it, right? Uh, so that's the, that's the tough thing. These sandwiches without the combos, so all combos are 23 Sandwiches are anywhere from 13 to $15. Not terrible, but it's just, like, a little bit more than I want to spend on lunch, you know? And there's really nothing else crazy going on here. So that was not meant to, uh, oh, the salad, one salad, the chopped smoked turkey salad. That was not meant to be smirch uh, clumsy cow barbecue in any way. I think the prices are fairly reasonable the only concern that I have it's not even a concern it's just it feels less relevant to me because or in general it feels less relevant because the loop is very much a lunch spot right and it's unless you have unless you can really cultivate like a nice inside of the place sit down restaurant experience it's going to be hard to sell it as a dinner spot, especially in the loop where there's just not very many people eating out that time of day. So, all the best to Clumsy Cow Barbecue. I would love to give it a try sometime. I just don't know when I'm going to cuz I don't eat dinner in the loop and I don't spend, you know, hey, let's just say I want to do a, a sandwich by itself. It's still 15 bucks plus tax and tip. Probably not going to do that, right? So, there you go. Clumsy Cow Barbecue. I don't even know how we got on that topic. So, transatlanticism is a fantastic album, came out in 2003, it's probably Death Cab's most famous album, they had a run of three, starting with Transatlanticism, Transatlanticism followed by Plans, followed by Narrow Stairs, Narrow Stairs, Narrow Stairs, um, that were just all three, just three straight bangers, kick-ass albums, and look, the stuff before that block of three and the stuff after, still fantastic, very different. They've evolved as an artist a lot, right? They've been around for, what are we at, like 25, 26 years now, um, which is, so that's natural. That's good. But transatlanticism kind of stands alone as a hallmark. It is really, I think what you can say more than anything about transatlanticism is it. it is very much like when people in today's day and age Think of Death Cab for Cutie, that's what you think of, right? So they've done a lot of stuff since then. Ben Gibbard has changed a lot as an artist and a songwriter, and he writes about different things and and you know that sort of thing but transatlanticism um twenty years later is really like death Cab's legacy, I think, which is is fair. I mean it's a fantastic album. Not only are you know Ben Gibbard's an absolute slamming poet. But the music is spectacular as well. It was the height of their musical powers, and I think I think they stayed at that height um, through those three albums and those tours. And then it 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 I wouldn't say it fell off after Chris Waller left, but it's very different. And I don't think that it is without his production value uh, nor his musicianship. I love Dave Depper, their new guitarist. I, he's not that new anymore; he's been there for ten years, and Zach Ray. They, those guys are great, but I just don't think they quite bring the same. Uh, the nucleus just isn't as strong anymore, right? So to give you the track listing of transatlanticism, and we'll throw in our three trivia questions. We'll sprinkle them in. I won't I won't go too crazy on the, the timing of this episode, but um, here's the order, and I would encourage you to go listen to the album straight through. It's like 45 minutes, something like that. Not, not bad. The order, uh, the track list, the new year. Lightness, Title and Registration, Expo 86, Sound is Settling, Tiny Vessels, Transatlanticism, title track. Uh, i got to be careful what I say. Title track is also the name of a Death Cab Cab song, just not on this album. Uh, After Transatlanticism is Passenger Seat, Death of an Interior Decorator, We Looked Like Giants, and a Lack of Color. So if you're just a casual music fan, you're not even really into Death Cab, you probably know Transatlanticism. Uh, the song and there's a good chance you've heard Sound of Settling because I think it was featured in a, like an Apple commercial or something like that um, which is just funny based off of what the song is actually about that's a great thing about that song in particular we'll get to it in, a, in a little bit here but it's a it's a very like sad kind of depressing song with a high energy like upbeat kind of tune and that's just um that's what that's what makes Ben Gibbard so great, so here we go, so I'm gonna take sort of the cop out here with number eleven again, we're going eleven to one worst to best, although worst is not how I would describe any of these tunes. Number eleven is I think the crowd consensus pick for yeah this is the this is number eleven on this album, Death of an interior decorator i'll say this it is not one of those songs where it's like hey, if i'm listening through the album i gotta skip it because it's just like doesn't do anything for me i still love it it's a good song and it's got some really interesting um just kind of rhythmic and melodic layers which this whole album has the the guitar layering against the drums and the bass spectacular and i'm so pumped to see how ben and dave and um their drummer um escaping my mind uh nick their their bassist jason jason mcgur their drummer how they do that layering live because there's going to be a lot of tracks in here that they never play live i mean they threw in the new year we saw them last year at the salt Shed. they played that live title registration obviously they play live occasionally but there's a ton of songs in here we look like giants they throw in and out but and obviously Transatlantic, they do a lot, but they didn't even play that last time we saw them. So there's a lot going on. But there um, are a lot of opportunities to see songs live that you normally wouldn't get to see ever. In that vein, um, the other half of this tour is the Postal Service, right? Also 20 years old. Give Up, great album, their only album. And I think I saw somewhere when they, they kicked off this tour a month ago, or it was just like two weeks ago and they played Such Great Heights, which is probably their most famous song off of not only that album, but the most famous song they ever created. I think it was the first time they have ever played it live in like 10 years or something. Postal Service doesn't do much. They're not very active, right? Ben has Death Cab. Um, Jenny Lewis has her solo career. And then um, what's his name? The other guy, Jimmy Tamborello, is that his name, has his producer and DJ stuff. So I'm I'm pumped for that as well. I I will say this. I I don't claim to be like a – postal service ride till I die kind of person in terms of like knowing the lyrics to every single one of their songs but I know most of the songs off that album and uh, it's just going to be kind of a fun different experience right Um, before we get into number 10 here let's do our first trivia question of the week so transatlanticism was recorded at uh, the Hall of Justice, which was bought and then owned by uh, former uh, band member, Chris Walla. And it, the Hall of Justice is located in this city, which is just uh, very close to Bellingham, which is where uh, Ben Gibbard originally hails from. So you tell me what city is close to Bellingham and where the Hall of Justice was located, is located um, chris doesn't chris still owns it i think i was researching the hall of justice a couple days ago it's this crazy little recording studios are kind of a fascinating thing in and of themselves right you think about just like popular music and you think like oh it's got to be like los angeles get this mix like probably some like big fancy space the hall of justice is just like this triangular corner building at an intersection here in a neighborhood of the town we're looking for um the Fremont neighborhood I think is what it's called it's the north part of town and it's just like the most like you know windowless discreet looking building like you would never think twice just walking past it on the street even to this day and then you realize like it's this culturally extremely significant place uh, where a, a bunch of major artists and albums have been recorded including this one. Just, I don't know, kind of fascinating to think about, the musician in me, the musicologist in me. Uh, If you're curious, the Hall of Justice, and this is uh, kind of semi-unofficially Death Cab's hometown because uh, Bellingham is right outside of Seattle, Washington, okay? Classic Pacific Northwest band, Death Cab for Cutie. Uh, Number 10 on our list, I will say this. I knew I wanted to do Death of Interior Decorator number 11, and then I would say the next two On this list, which I'll give to you right now, were ones I was like, I think I'm going to put them here as well. And then 1 through 8, I honestly was just like staring at my phone for 2 or 3 minutes trying to decide like how am I actually going to rank these. And it could easily change next time we do this, which won't happen on this show, but uh, it could happen uh, independently. So number 10 is going to be Lightness for me. It's a pretty laid-back track, um, but it's got a great drum bit going on. Uh, it's just a little bit. It's very mellow. It's not a bad song. It doesn't really, like, speak to my soul, though. Um, and it's kind of a, it's an interesting song. It just, like, jumps right in, and it's like the song is going. There's not, like, an intro. So just, boom, that one Jason McGur drum beat, and then it's it's starting. So uh, for me, lightness is 10. For, for me, number 9 is the, the opening track, The New Year, which I did get to hear live uh, about a year ago this time. Great uh, Great song. Kind of a you know mid-tempo and uh, great to play on January 1st every year. Um, it really gives the album a good like, oomph, some good uh, power strumming to uh, start off the album. But it doesn't quite reach the depths uh, or the emotional highs or lows one way or another that the majority of the album reaches for me, but it's still a good title track. When you hear the new year, you hear those first uh, that the uh, the sound kind of amps up for a couple seconds, and then boom, right into that first chord, boom, boom, and then the guitars go, and that's the new year. Okay, and that's just a great way to start a great album. Okay, that's number nine. Now, as we get through one through eight here, this is where it was really for me, just like, gosh, almost throwing darts at the dartboard, and uh, this might number eight might be controversial. Um, I think, I think there's a lot of Death Cab fans who are with me on this and that it's a little bit kind of like a hollow song. And then there's plenty of others who really love it. I mean, they closed with this song the last time we saw them. So this song is not a pushover by any means. It's very pop, uh, probably the most pop song on here on this album and a uh, pretty well known in just like mainstream music circles. But for me, the sound of settling is number eight. I I love it. I mean, you got the high energy, upbeat music. Those drums are pervasive, going up against those just lyrics that just do not match the music at all. And if you're not, it's one of those songs where like you could just play it for someone, and if you weren't like carefully, intently listening to what the song is about, you'd just be like, oh yeah, cool, like fun, happy, upbeat song. And that's just, it's a very like depressing song. Um, I like the sound of settling and it's definitely one of those songs you can just like play for me anytime. I'm like, this is going to be a great three minutes, but hard choices. I wasn't, I wasn't, wasn't joking when I said, these are some extremely hard choices that I have to make. So for me, sound of settling is number eight and it, it doesn't, it's not like, Oh, we got one out of the way. So now it's going to be easy. Nope. It just is extremely tough moving forward because number seven for me is expo 86 I love this song for a variety of reasons. If you're curious, Expo 86 is named after the world's fair in Vancouver in 1986, very close, just about half an hour drive from Bellingham where Ben grew up. Um, so obviously 1986 would have been a, uh, a key point in his life. He was probably what, like a teenager at that point. Um, a little bit younger than that, maybe, but I love expo eighty six because I think it rocks harder um when it hits its peak. You wouldn't really the song doesn't really have verses and chorus and bridge or anything, but you know when expo eighty six just hits the zenith of sound and energy that's just like a that's just like a concept that Death Cab doesn't get into very often and look, they're a great band and they got a lot of energy uh on certain songs. And they, they showcase that live, especially. But there's something about Expo 86 when uh, they just, it's a big, long crescendo. They get they hit that portion, you know, two-thirds of the way in, and that's just, if you don't know the song, because if you don't, then this is just going to be a really boring way of uh, me describing it. But it, you got to go listen to it. Because when you think of Death Cab for Cutie, the casual fan, you're probably thinking of uh, sad, emo. I will follow you into the dark from plans. Uh, So go listen to Expo '86, and you'll just see the the energy that I'm talking about. Before we get to our top six here, which is, geez, this is just these could all be tied for number one, frankly. Um, Our second trivia question is uh, proceeding through the Death Cab timeline here. So basically, what happened around right after? I think it was right after Narrow Stairs. And their next album was Codes and Keys, which is a pretty, like, happy, uh, got some love songs on it. Um, Codes and Keys, although not critically well-reviewed. And then the album after that, Kintsugi, um, is sort of a breakup album. Not even sort of. It is a breakup album. So Ben Gibbard, for a time, moved to Los Angeles, still on the West Coast, but away from his Pacific Northwest roots. Because he was married to this actress, And then Kintsugi was the breakup album after they got divorced because she cheated on him. And to this day, I am not a big fan of this actress. Uh, If you need clues, she had her own kind of hit show that was really about her, uh, a sitcom for maybe like six or seven seasons, along with um, I don't even know the names of those other actors. The show was uh, known for it being like, She was the main character surrounded by a bunch of guys, okay? Uh, Another clue, I guess, uh, her sister was the lead actress in Bones, okay? So two sisters, both actresses. Uh, If you still need clues, I don't know how much more I can do to help you. Zooey and Deschanel, Z-O-O-E-Y space D-E-S-C-H-A-N-E-L. Daughter of uh, Caleb Deschanel, is that his name? He's uh, like a screenwriter, I think. Let's go look at Caleb Deschanel. If you're curious, Ben and Zooey were married from 2009 to 2012. Did not last very long. Caleb Deschanel is a cinematographer. That's what it is. He's not a writer. He's a cinematographer. Let's see. His filmography. um, Cinematographer. What has he done that we would know here on the Being Done podcast? The Right Stuff, 1983. I've actually never seen The Right Stuff, nor do I know much about it, but I am just aware that it is a pretty, um, culturally significant film. So we're learning a lot. Um, other things that Caleb Deschanel did the cinematography for the Patriot, which was pretty much playing 24 seven at our, um, our extremely, uh, conservative Christian homeschool friends house growing up. Great Mel Gibson, uh, kind of anti-Jew film. Excellent. Other things, National Treasure, he did, uh, The Passion of the Christ, Killshot, which I've never seen, but I've heard. uh, It's fun. Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, Jack Reacher, The Lion King, the Disney uh, remake, the live action, quote, with real live CGI this time. Great stuff. So that's Caleb Deschanel for you. He also did cinematography for uh, Twin Peaks, Law & Order, Bones, which I just mentioned. So uh, there you go. That's um, the answer to our second trivia question of the week here. Um, As we progress through now this kind of second half, the top half of this album, although it's a shame to say, oh, yeah, Expo 86 and Sound of Settling, they're not in the top half. That's kind of silly. Uh, Number six, I... Just feel terrible putting this here, Uh, but it's just kind of sort of. uh, If I have to really think about, like, man, what are those songs that really hit for me? This is in the middle of this album, number six. We already heard it once today. It's Passenger Seat. It's a fantastic song, obviously. Very simple musically, right? Doesn't do anything too crazy, but a nice, just kind of like little poem almost put to music. Uh, But beautiful, very soothing. There's a great live recording. It's just uh, Ben and. Uh, Zach Ray, who at the time was very new to the band playing piano, but they're by like a fireplace. It's gorgeous. Got to go check it out. And I think I have a YouTube cover on my own of Passenger Sea, if you go check out my YouTube channel, from years ago when I lived up in Rogers Park the second time, I think. Probably during the pandemic. I was doing some more like covers and recordings then because there just wasn't anything to do, literally, except for go walk around the block and I wasn't even drinking that year and work and run. And pretty much for a year, year and a half, my life was running and working and going for walks and cooking. Crazy to think. I mean, I think we are, although COVID is still going, obviously, like we, and it has been for a while now, right? But like we're officially out of the like pandemic stay at home kind of thing. Right. I mean, that's an obvious statement, but it it was a slow transition right? it wasn't just like a flip of the switch. And I definitely don't, I'm not saying this to be like, Oh yeah, I still feel like we're in the pandemic sometimes, but, um, there are definitely, um, I don't know, definitely like aspects of it that I miss. Most of it I don't miss, but aspects of it I do. Okay. Uh, but passenger seat number six, sorry for butchering it. Uh, at the top of the show, we're almost uh, wrapping up here. Number five, we Look like giants. I love this one and it's way better live because they jam. In fact, older, um, older recordings of we Look like giants, they used to whip out a second drum set and Ben would play drums. He and uh, Jason would play drums at the same time. I don't think they do that anymore. Um, but you know they're going to jam. It's towards the end of the album. It's the penultimate track, so it's a great time, especially because the last song is a lack of color, which is like solo guitar, essentially, um, and and vocals. But we look like giants. Great imagery, good um, uh, metaphors and similes. Uh, Just It's like a very much, although it's not like the popular radio hit, it's very much like a quintessential Death Cab song. Um, and very much in the vein of transatlanticism. It's a little bit angsty, and that's why I love We looked Like Giants. Uh, number four, a very popular track. Everyone's probably heard it before. If We Look Like Giants is a quintessential death cab track, this one may, might even take it up a further notch because title and registration is a song about driving in a car and how the, the glove compartment is, is not named correctly because he's never seen any gloves in there. And then he reaches in there, and he sees a photo of a long-lost love, and he reminisces about her. And that's what title and registration is about. And it's just such a simplistic kind of lyrical thing. But you have this great guitar. Hello, it's Rachel. you have anything you want to share? What's your favorite track from Transatlanticism? We can ask you tomorrow after you watch it live. That's okay. We'll still be... No, it's 20 years old. That's why they're touring right now. That's not embarrassing. She'll probably come back five minutes to give her side of the story. Um... But title and registration, obviously, a very like iconic guitar opening, right? I mean, it's even syncopated, right? This is just, this is just quality stuff. I mean, it is just peak. Ben Gibbard can write a song about anything, and then find music to just make it sound like a amazing song. And then you look, you step, you take a step back, and you look at the lyrics, and like, what did I just listen to? And but it's like it's magic how he does it and that's why death cab is just i don't know any other bands like that who can just find like a super mundane thing how how many other songs are titled title and registration right this just like it's not a thing it's crazy um okay gosh we're into the top three here i'll also mention um You know, I I kind of already said this, but I would love if, hey, if you're a death cab head out there, you can definitely um, email us and let us know what you liked, what you didn't like, um, and give us sort of your own, you know, opinions. If you want to do that, you can let us know, hey, this sucked or this was awesome. Doesn't really matter to me either way. Okay. So go ahead and just let us know. Um. Let's give me one second here. Got sidetracked by a notification on my phone. Um, number three, so we're down to three tracks left here, and we still have one more trivia question. Yeah, It, it was really this, at this point, I mean, I, hey, we've already ranked title and registration. Once you've sort of crossed that Rubicon, R-U-B-I-C-O-N, There's really no more place to go. It's not like, oh, yeah, this one is definitely better than title and registration, right? There are no songs that are better than title and registration. At this point, it was really just a gut thing. Like, what was I feeling at that point in time? Um, I'm putting A Lack of Color, the closing track three. It's such a beautiful song. It's basically just Ben, a guitar and some backing vocals. And, again, it's about, like, how the eye works, essentially, seeing things upside down, the cornea flips them, right? The iris, whatever it is, the pupil. And it's, but it's such a beautiful song. Just obviously a great way to summarize this whole album. The lyrics are kind of like, what, what the heck? But the metaphors he makes are just um, timeless. And that's why this album is so amazing, because he just hit like 11 home runs, essentially. So A Lack of Color, great song. Fun to play on the guitar. I miss my guitar a little bit. I, I kind of wish I still had it. The good news is they're not that hard to come by. One day, when you have a little bit more space, I will uh, bring the guitar back. I will I will get another one. Okay, number two. Maybe another hot take. I think our first hot take was putting Sound of Settling at 8, but here's my other hot take. Number two, Transatlantuses. Okay, it is probably outside of... Um, I will follow you into the dark. It's probably the song that like the general public knows the most because it's just so anthemic. Like, um, I don't know. Champagne supernova or something by Oasis, where it's just like this big, long, like crescendo. Like it just goes hard. Um, it's the title track, right? I don't need to like sit here and say why this song is so great. It's just amazing. Just the piano at the start, even on the album version. I love this was kind of those like echoing drums in the background. Um, and it's just, uh, just, I don't know, it's beautiful. I, seeing it live is going to be awesome. I've seen it live before, but the fact that you now get to see it in the context of, like, the album was built around this as a concept, I think is going to be really neat. So I'm, I'm excited for that. The number one song is the song that leads into transatlanticism, which is one of my favorite parts about how the two songs are kind of connected. That's why I hate when you just listen to like this number one song without the number two song that I just rang, Transatlanticism. It stops kind of in the middle, and it really pisses me off, which just happened when I was in the shower. I <laughs> I took a shower. I listened to this number one song, Tiny Vessels, and was just like on my YouTube, wing in a prayer. Maybe YouTube is smart enough to transition Tiny Vessels into Transatlanticism uh, as it's intended to be, and they weren't. They played like Ron Cannoli gospel music which i will never be upset about but it's just not there's a big difference between ron cannoli ancient of days and ben gibbard sings transatlanticism right uh tiny vessels maybe a hot take but it is like the most angsty sad boy almost beyond not even sad boy but just like rude spurned lover kind of this was like kintsugi before kintsugi was a thing 10 years later Tiny Vessels is Ben Gibber just at his absolute nastiest. He does not pull punches. If you never looked at the lyrics to this song, it's kind of uh, shocking just like how hard he goes on this song. And almost, I always kind of associate Expo 86 and Tiny Vessels together in my head because they both have kind of those middle sections, two thirds of the way through the songs, that just go hard on everything all together, the power chords, the drums, and the bass. And that's just not a normal death cab thing. They only do it in a couple of songs in their entire... Especially after transatlanticism, they don't do it, do it that much. You see that a little bit more in their earlier musics. musics uh, music as they're more punk-influenced, but not much after 2005 plans or so. Um, but you still get it from Tiny Vessels. It's angsty. It is... Parts of transatlanticism are very like sweet and romantic, and then parts are it parts of it are just like sad, depressing, angry, sound of settling right tiny vessels and uh I don't know to me, just give me that energy. I love that I don't think I've ever seen tiny vessels live, and I get to see it tomorrow, so I'm very excited that was our power ranking eleven through one death and death of an interior decorator, ten lightness, nine. The New Year, 8, Sound of Settling, 7, Expo 86, 6, Passenger Seat, 5, We Look Like Giants, 4, Title and Registration, 3, A Lack of Color, 2, Transatlanticism, and number 1 on this list, Tiny Vessels. There you go. Um, our last trivia question of today's show uh, references spanning the Atlantic, Transatlanticism. So uh, if you follow Death Cab at all, you know Chris Walla, one of the founding members of the band uh, left uh, right after they recorded Kintsugi, which is probably right about when I started to get really serious about Death Cab about eight years ago, something like that. Um, when I like I, I listened to them in high school because my brother, uh, Jack, friend of the brother of the show had CDs, probably like a full transatlanticism CD in his car. I don't even know. But I like, I knew of them. I listened to them. But it wasn't until I saw them at Summerfest when I was in college when I was really like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm going to be a fan of this band. Like, listen to them on YouTube, that sort of thing. But Chris Walla left, which is uh, a whole other episode and tough to stomach and hard for the band. But he moved across the Atlantic, and he now lives in the city of Trondheim in this European country. So where does Chris Walla live now? It's not uh, Seattle, it's not Bellingham, it's not Los Angeles. It's all the way across the pond, Trondheim, T-R-O-N-D-H-E-I-M, Trondheim. Dates back to the 11th century per Wikipedia, Gothic Nidaro's Cathedral features an Gothic Nidaros, like Nidoran, male, female. Nidaros Cathedral features an ornate rose window and a detailed west facade nearby the Archbishop's Palace Museum, houses archaeological findings and sculptures, including gargoyles, spook, removed from the cathedral. Oh, well, why were they removed? Ringve, R-I-N-G-V-E Museum is a music, music museum in a former manor house and barn. Of course, a former manor house and barn. Okay, that we got to wrap this up. Trondheim is in Norway. There you go. So that was our power ranking of Transatlanticism tracks, our three trivia questions, our shout-out to our sponsors. Did it go longer than I wanted it to? Yes, but I enjoyed it. It was fun. And I think if you um, know Death deathcap for Cutie at all or if you want to get into them, hopefully you'll enjoy it too. If you get the chance, you can go see them on their Give Up Tour. It is uh, they play through two albums, one Death Cab, Transatlanticism, and one Postal Service, the only Postal Service album, Give Up. Um, And then they come out together as a band at the end and play like two songs in unison together. So seeing them tomorrow at Riot Fest, they're actually splitting up their sets. They'll do one and then an hour break and then the other. And in between is Queens of the Stone Age, who I know one song from. But it's like it's going to be right there and maybe I'll become a big queen head. I don't know. Guys, that's what I got for you. Uh, no Death Cab to close us out. It'll be a regular closer for you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for supporting our show. If you're listening on your podcast app, if you give us a five-star rating and leave a review, what's your favorite transatlanticism track? Um, and you can follow the show uh, on SoundCloud, uh, not Stitcher, rest in peace, finally dead, um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, wherever you find your podcast. Thanks for supporting our show. Happy uh, Happy September. And uh, that's what I got for it. Cue Ultra our music, everyone. Stay safe. Stay sane. I'll check in on you next time. Bye.